I just want to take a moment uh, this morning, uh, and uh, Chris, in his prayer, just kind of acknowledged the stuff that's going on around the world, but I just want to take a moment and pray specifically for what's going on in Ukraine. So let's, let's do that together, all right? Thank you, Father, for... Um, yeah, just thank you that you are sovereign and that you know better than we do what's going on around the world. Father, we pray for your peace to just pour all across Eastern Europe and Ukraine and Russia. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray that in the midst of this time that your name would be proclaimed and that your name would be glorified. We pray, Father, that, that even Russian soldiers would be confronted by you and would turn their lives over to you, Father, in Jesus' name. We give you glory and honor in all things. Amen. Last week, we, uh, I told the story of King David and Absalom and just that messed up um, father-son relationship, and part of the reason for me telling that story was just to give you a picture of what disordered desires can do and how they can even have a negative impact on uh, just our our relationships in our family. And if you remember, in this series that we're in, The Great Deception, we're, we're, we've been talking about that there are deceptive ideas which come from the devil that play into our disordered desires, which is our flesh, and then they are normalized in a sinful society, which is our world and our culture. And just a reminder, Jesus basically says the devil is real, and he talked about the devil that his main goal is death and destruction, and uh, his main strategy is lies and deception. He does other things, yes, but his main strategy is lies and deception. And we also talked about that our flesh is really our disordered desires, desires that don't line up with God, and that even good desires can get out of line. They can become disordered, and that's where the devil feeds into. That's where his lies and his deception comes to play. Even our good desires, and I think that one of the places that the devil does his greatest work of deception is he, when he takes our good desires and he gets them off track and they become disordered. I told this story last week, again, because I, uh, I wanted us to see that even though King David, who is called in the Bible a man after God's own heart, fell to the deception of the devil in relationship to his disordered desire. We saw that King David, even in the midst of all that went on with Absalom, he longed, he longed to be with Absalom. But if you remember, he never went. He never went there. And for me, just knowing that King David, a man after God's own heart, who fell to the deception of the evil one, that doesn't make me think any less of King David. In fact, it makes me think, he's more like me. 
He, I can be a man after God's own heart and still know that there are times when I may fall to the deceptions of the evil one because of the disordered desires in my heart. At no point do I think King David is not a man after God's own heart. I, he truly is. I mean, there's so many other pieces to his story. He's just that he's imperfect like me and like you. This allows me to see the amazing grace and mercy and love of our Heavenly Father. That even in the midst of my being deceived or the times when I get out of whack, my disordered desires are out of whack, God still chooses to use me. God still chooses to use me to proclaim His Word. And the other thing it shows me is that when somebody else responds in a negative way or maybe a way that could hurt me or offend me, it makes me to think with grace and mercy and love towards that person. Why? Because maybe in that moment they are being deceived themselves. Maybe they are functioning more out of the disordered desire. And because I do that and every one of us, of us does that, we should look at each other with grace and mercy. So our goal today is to learn how to live free. And the key element I want us to understand to living free is that you are already free. It's already a, a done deal. Today I want us to look at what it means to walk in the Spirit. Um, that even in the midst of being deceived or having these deceptive desires, disordered desires that we can still pay attention to and focus our hearts and our minds on the Spirit and what He's doing. And Galatians 5 is a great passage, and so we're going to look at Galatians 5 this morning and what Paul has to say about walking in the Spirit or living by the Spirit. Galatians 5.1 says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Notice here that Paul uses the past tense word. He says, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. It's a done deal. You're already free. For the church in Galatia, this was dealing with the religious rules and norms of their society. It was dealing with circumcision. Uh, what, if we remember from the story of Israel, one of the things that God required of the Israelites is that the males would be circumcised at eight days old. It was to show that they were set apart, set apart from all the other people's groups, and when Christ came, there was no longer this need for circumcision because the set-apartness came by the Holy Spirit coming in and marking us. But there were some Jewish Christians who were like, hey, if you're really going to be a follower of Jesus, you have to be circumcised. And so that's where the push and the pull came. But Paul says here, uh, we have the Holy Spirit as our mark. You have been set free. So don't go back to the yoke of circumcision. Don't put that on. Stay free. 
We're going to jump down to verse 16 where Paul says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. For Absalom, if you remember, his desires were really twofold. One was revenge. He wanted to get back at Amnon. But his other desire was a relationship with his father. That's what he was longing for. For someone else, and maybe you have a similar experience, maybe your home life wasn't the best. Maybe an absent father or divorce or some kind of abuse, your desire, your disordered flesh, maybe long, has you so longing for a relationship that you have unhealthy relationships. You step into relationships and you just... They're, they're just plain unhealthy. Or maybe you experience some kind of abuse that you need to medicate that abuse, either through alcohol or through drugs or through spending or whatever it may be. The devil lies to you and says, you need more. You, you're not free. So what does the Spirit, what does the life look like when you walk by the Spirit? Verse 22, familiar passage to all of us, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. I am set free, and when I live and walk by the Spirit, these elements will be a part of my life. Joy and peace and patience. It's not a to-do list. Okay, today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be patient. I'm going to really work on it. Or today I'm going to be joyful. Here we go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on it. No, it, it comes as I develop and grow in my relationship with the Lord. As I learn, learn to walk in the Spirit. And as I learn to walk in the Spirit, these things like joy and peace and patience will come to the surface. Paul continues on. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions. Um, here, here's the thing what we don't get sometimes. We need to crucify our flesh, or we need to crucify our disordered desires. It, see, sometimes we want to walk as close as we can to whatever the boundary line. In, in the re, area of sexuality, we want how far is too far. That's what we want to know, how far is too far. And to crucify the flesh, it's like, it's not how far is too far. It's like, nope, I'm going to be way over here. Whatever it may be, it, we need to crucify the flesh. It's interesting because Paul talks in Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. He, he talks about a similar thing to the church there. And he says, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your mind on things above, not on things below. Set your heart on things above. And then he says these words, put to death. And then he lists a whole bunch of things. Like sexual immorality, purity, lust, evil desire, dissension. All that stuff. Put to death. 
Verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So this is how we do it, keeping in step with the Spirit. How do you keep in step with the Spirit? You learn to listen for the Spirit. You, you learn to meditate. You read God's Word. You pray. You take time. It's like any relationship. How do you learn how to understand your spouse and what your spouse is saying to you? Or one of your kids, you take the time and you listen. Learning to keep in step with the Spirit means we be intentional about that. If we truly want to live by the Spirit, we need to let the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to let Him to sort through our disordered desires bring healing to those areas, reveal them to us so that we can put them to death, and then we practice, put it into practice each and every day. Now, all of us know people who have learned to do this, that when we think of those people, we go, yeah, that person kind of walks by the Spirit. I see the fruit of the Spirit in that person's life. I'm going to invite Jeff Grahams up here because Jeff is one of those people in our church and in my life that I go, yeah, Jeff has learned how to walk in the Spirit. He's not perfect. You're not perfect? No. Tammy, is he perfect? No? Okay. Just want to confirm there. Okay, so Jeff, share about, because one of the things that we saw with King uh, Absalom and King David was generational since, things that were passed down. So Jeff, talk to us a little bit about the generational stuff that was passed down from your father or, or what that looked like for you. Yeah, um, I'll definitely share that. I'll share a wound in that. Uh, but I think it's important for me to say that what I say about my dad and mom is in full honor, okay? Um, my dad passed away just over a year ago, and he had a life restoration. It took slow progress for him, but in his last couple years we had many discussions talks so I'm not putting my dad or mom under the bus in any way or form this is out of total honor and respect um, so one of the things I think you should know is that in our family some people may have called bloodlines or things that are passed down generationally we're all born into sin to begin with and we got all these layers of family stuff on top of that so pretty much in my my family things that were passed down would be um, addiction was in there uh, there was uh, sexual abuse, uh, there was secrecy, there was also, um, I think, just layers, I don't know what word to put it, but the stuff culture, or the stuff family, where we weren't allowed to express inner feelings, so we just had to swallow hard and go on with life and figure it out. So, so through that, growing up, um, one of the things that, uh, as a young child, that, that I experienced, my dad worked a B-shift, so he wasn't a... I mean, when I went to school, so I really didn't see my dad until weekends. Sunday was the day off. Uh, it was a family day, which they were, they were highly committed on family life. Uh, but my dad was very passive. He, um, he um, um, had a lot of uh, addiction qualities himself. Um, you could see he, he was an alcoholic, so uh, thank the Lord he went through treatment when I was in college. And, but through those uh, early years, I just... What I, what I had was I had a, a daddy hole. Hmm. Okay, so the, 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 the family that there was love, there was care, but how it was done was out of obligation and duty. There was, I was craving intimacy. I was craving uh, 
love from specifically from my dad. And mom was just busy running the show, doing all the things, wash clothes, feeding. Uh, I have four other brothers, so a family of five boys, imagine that. All kind of <laughs> fighting for your own and, and all that kind of stuff. So, so, so I think just with my, with my dad, what was interesting, his struggles were depressive tendencies. Um, he, 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 he had anxiety, of course. He had addictive. There was secrecy there. Um, and... Um, and it's interesting how that was a pattern that I carried into my adulthood. Mm. Wow. So talk to me about your journey of healing. What, what kind of process did that look like? Yes. Um, a key thing with, with my environment growing up was that it was like church was, um, you know, it was important to go to church, but we didn't talk about how to bring church in kind of a thing. So we had that kind of maybe a touch of legalism to that. Um, so we didn't have the spirit-filled life. And so I, I received Jesus uh, dating Tammy, my wife, at the North Branch United Methodist Church. In those days, a very biblically driven church. And I had a high impact. I, I, I cried three Sundays in a row. I had to leave the service because there was something going on here that this was new territory. And uh, so entering now the spirit-filled life, I had knowledge of God. I knew what Jesus had done for me, but I made a connection from here to here. And uh, so we got, we got married, raised our kids, uh, living fruitful ministry lives. Um, however, through that, through that journey, I was a part of everything under the sun with ministries, active ministry life, things were hopping with families. But, but is, even though I was a part of many men's groups throughout my entire journey, I didn't have that two to three people in my life that I could bear my soul, that knows everything about me. So... So what do I do with that? I, I'm living in, I carried on the guilt and shame, much like my, my dad experienced. I didn't have a high outlook on myself. I was a people pleaser, so I, I needed, I craved affirmation. I wanted to be accepted um, and those things. And, um, and then in my 40s, I'm just, Tammy had prayed for years that, that I would live my life half full. And she actually bought a t-shirt with me when I, got, when I came to freedom in Christ. So, and uh, the reason is I just, I didn't know what to do with the, this bondage, all this baggage that I had. And then, and then, and then God just, he brought resources, he, he provided people. That, that the first step for me was when God called me to ministry with Timber Bay. Um, I had more growth in that first seven years of my entire life up to that point. Mm. And I was about 45 years old, or 44. And uh, at that point... Then it was the first point where one of the acronyms I've, I've lived to learn that I think would be, as a takeaway for anybody here today, would be the acronym AIR, A-I-R. So the first time in my life, I knew I had to admit I had a problem. You know, you wear this, the false self or you wear the mask. I was pretty good at that. You know, I've done acting in my life, right? <laughs> so, so then through the, um, um, steer me back a little bit. So AIR. So AIR, yes. So AIR is, so the first letter is admit. Okay, uh, the second is uh, letter is I. So identify the lie, and that that was a point I was I was uh, uh, really going after uh, demolishing the strongholds in my life. I was going at it with my everything I got. Um, I was tired of the life I was living half empty, and God has this victorious life for me. So so I was I I was identifying the lies. I was journaling. I was taking my thoughts captive. And then R was, this is what happens in the church. I think we kind of stop there sometimes. 
is that the key is that if you're going to identify something and want to get rid of it, you have to replace it. So I brought in scripture to replace those thoughts. When I was at camp, I actually, when I was going after it, I set up what was called, uh, um, um, when you go through the airport, you got checkpoints. So checkpoints, uh, 9 a.m., every three hours, 9, 12, noon, 3 p.m., 6 p.m., 9 p.m., I'd have a moment where I paused and reflected, Lord, how was I thinking the last three hours? And I was checking, I was journaling, why do I think the way I do? Where's it coming from? We get voices that come from, our own voice, right? How we see ourselves. We hear voices from others. And of course, we got Satan's voice not giving up, and we got God's voice. So, so I was going after God's voice. Wow. And then, and then, then through that, was a, it was a six to eight year process that I was able to, three key factors for my freedom of the journey was being spirit-filled, increase, me decrease, um, was renewing my mind, was the second thing, and then the third thing was my identity was, was pretty messed up. So once I saw how God saw me, then uh, life changed treme- tremendously. So air is admit. Admit. Identify. Identi- identify the lie. And then ours replace. Replace the lie with the truth. Yes. Awesome. So what does um, keeping in step with the Spirit look like for you today? You've experienced freedom. You, you experience, you, you have the fruit of the Spirit in you. What does it look like for you today? Oh, boy. Today is uh, I'm more alive than ever before. Uh, sleep patterns, I can sleep. I've, I've gotten just a better diet. I'm paying more attention to body, soul, spirit. Um, uh, I'm surrounded by layers of accountability. I have those two to three people in my life that I bear my soul to, which is awesome. Um, and... Um, uh, Again, being engaged, being uh, just thinking about intentional grandparenting. Mm-hmm. We are called to be the investment of that for our, to help our kids, for our, our grandkids, and we're, we're loving that. So I think uh, just eternal perspective, high purpose, high calling, and, um, and then when that happens, then it's like it's, it's no longer about me, it's about my life in Christ. So then I let God direct my path, and then he, he opens up doors because he gives me the gift of encouragement, so I want to be there for, for the encourage others to, that this can happen on the side of heaven. Yeah, when we were talking about this uh, just the other day, yesterday, you, you, you talked about there are times when you shift over to the flesh, yes. but then you don't call that a failure, you right. call it a... Yep, I'll share that. So, so one of the things that from your, your messages, like probably a year ago, you had talked, you were on the Spirit, uh, we invite the Spirit... We yield to the Spirit, so those moments in each of our life, we have hundreds of choices, right, to, 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 to decide, well, do, I, do we respond in the flesh, natural man, or do I respond in the Spirit? And then we receive the Spirit. So, so I would say in the last uh, year to two years, when I've slipped, what it, and I, what it, I kind of, with the guys I, I'm accountable with, we have what we call green, yellow, and red. Mm-hmm. Red is kind of a relapse, yellow is the caution area. So when I identify I'm in a yellow now, um, it's like, okay, it's like where I used to think growing up that God would just be a finger pointer at me. Mm-hmm. That's a lie. Mm-hmm. He never does that. He's this. Amen. All right? All right, so what, going back to what you're saying, Brad, is that um, when I used to live in guilt and shame when that happened, I'm no longer defined by it. So that when I do slip, pr- praise God, it doesn't go deep or anything like that, but it's like I... I 
he, the grace gives me that next step, and he's, he's loving me, and Jesus is smiling at me. He says, you can do better. Here we go again. Amen. So, Thanks, Jeff. There's so much there. So what does that mean for us today? Um, if, if you picked up, for Jeff, this is a lifelong journey. For, if you remember, my uh, former youth group kid that was here a couple weeks ago, Mark Benson, he talked about a thousand small steps. Sometimes us, we in our microwave generation or our automatic information, we pick up our phone and we get the answer. We're looking for change like right now. And if change doesn't happen right now, we go, oh. But it's a, it's, it takes time. And it's a, it's a journey. So how can we live free? First of all, and you can hear some of what Jeff's talked about there, it's, it's recognizing that we've all been wounded. It's a product of the fallen world. Do you know um, your wound? Do you know where it is that your disordered desires are coming from? Our wound creates a false self. Jeff mentioned that. This false self is part of this disordered desires. And as Dallas Willard said, he says this, the whole false self, our lifestyle, is an elaborate defense against entering our wounded heart. It is a chosen blindness. Our false self stubbornly blinds each of us to the light and the truth of our own emptiness and hollowness. And I would say, and the evil one, the devil, blinds us too. He helps us to not see. How else can you live a free life? Recognize that healing begins and ends with Jesus. This is Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, where... Uh, the prophet Isaiah says that the Spirit of the Lord has come upon me and the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners. This is what Jesus came for. Whatever is binding you up, Jesus came to set you free from it. How else can we live a free life? Repentance and forgiveness is the ointment of healing. Um, sometimes we don't fully grasp the power of forgiveness or the saying, I am wrong, will you forgive me? John says in 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Interesting thing in verse 8, right before that, he says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. If we don't confess our sins, we're deceiving ourselves. 
Confession is important. Yes, Jesus died on the cross. Yes, he forgave our sins. Our sins are forgiven. And we need to confess them. This is the way we become uh, purified, is by confessing our sins. James says in chapter 5, verse 16, well, I didn't even, I thought that, oh, I didn't put James 5, 16 on there, sorry, so you're going to have to just listen to me. Therefore, James 5, 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confess your sins, pray for each other that you may be healed. This is part of what Jeff is talking about, his accountability group. You need to be in a relationship. This, this journey with Jesus is not meant to be done alone. We are meant to do it in community. And it isn't about confessing your sins and saying, oh, I'm a sinner. It's not that. It's about, hey, I need help. This is an area in my life I need help in. Forgiveness and confession of sins is a choice. There's a quote, and I don't know who said this, but it goes like this. Forgiveness is setting a prisoner free and then discovering that the prisoner was you. Remember, when we don't confess our sins, when we don't forgive others, we're the ones that are bound up. And I mentioned this before, healing takes time. And the last thing, your wound becomes your ministry. Meaning in Isaiah 61, when you get to verse 4, the prophet says, and those who Jesus proclaimed to, they will become oaks of righteousness. And then they, those oaks of righteousness, those that were bound up, when they are set free, they are oaks of righteousness. And then they rebuild, they restore, they renew. Richard Rohr, in a book that he wrote, talks about the crisis of belief. You see, there comes a time in our life when this conflict, as Paul talked about, between the spirit and the flesh, it's a conflict. There comes a time when this conflict comes to a point where all of a sudden your whole belief system may come to a point of crisis. Maybe you've been praying for something and you haven't gotten the answer to prayer. Maybe you've been praying for your marriage for years and there's nothing, there's nothing, and there's nothing. And all of a sudden there comes this crisis of belief. Do I really believe in God anymore? Or what do I believe? We all go through this, Roar talks about. But he said, we have a choice when we come to this crisis of belief. We can either pull up our pants, tighten our belt, and work harder, and believe harder, and try harder, or we get on our knees before our Lord and Savior, and we confess our sins, and we give it to Him, and we trust in Him to do the work that He has to do in us. Richard War says, the one who pulls up their pants and tries all the harder and works all the harder, they work hard through this, usually they become bitter and angry in their old age. You maybe know somebody like that. 
The one who gets on their knees before the Savior and just surrenders everything, confesses and surrenders everything. Richard War talks to them. They become like an old sage, this person that just oozes contentment and peace and joy, no matter what's going on in the world around. They ooze that. You know people like that. So today, my challenge to you is walk in step with the Spirit because you are free. Let's pray. Father, thank you for setting us free. Thank you for the gift of freedom. I pray, Father, that whoever is bound up in here today, that you would give them the courage to confess it out, to surrender it to you, and that you would bring healing. In Jesus' name, amen.